Hey, good morning, everyone. Standing this morning as we open in worship. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We're singing some of your favorite Christmas carols this morning. So sing out and help us this morning. Something about the Christmas carols that just lifts your spirits, does it not? Great to sing that. Glory to the newborn king. And that's what we're here to do today, to give glory and honor to the king that was born some 2,000 years ago. But yet he still reigns and he's always going to reign forever and ever. Amen. It's so good to see you here this morning to worship with us at Sunset Hills. Again, if this is your very first time to be with us, we are really thrilled that you're here. We would love to get to know you a bit, so you can do it in a couple of ways. If you just share your name and address with you, then you can do it through the uh, new way of texting at uh, 615 
just type your name and address in, and that's a way you could do it. Or you can go in the old-fashioned way out to the welcome kiosk and just give us some information by pencil and paper, pen and paper, or whatever it takes, all right? We'll even sign your name in blood. We'll take that, too. No, just kidding. Oh, that's bad. That was bad, wasn't it? I apologize for that. That was really bad. We don't ask you to do that. All right. We just pen and pencil, that'll work, all right? It's good to see you here this morning. Merry Christmas to you. May God bless us as we worship together. Let's pray right quick, all right? Father, we are grateful for this day, for your love and mercy, and just the joy that this season, well, just it brings to us. And, and, and Father, I just pray that as we worship you today, we do it with a joyful heart to be happy that we're here in this place and that we have a king who is risen was not just newborn but he was risen is risen and we worship him today it's in jesus name we pray amen
sing it with us this morning. Rejoice. have seen, an expectation for what is to come. It has been a time of preparing our hearts and our homes for Christmas joy. Whether it has been the front door, the junk room, or the living room, we have been reminded of God's love, and it can permeate everywhere. We remember the incarnation of Jesus, born to a young woman who, but for love, would have been an outcast. The God we meet in Jesus is a God of compassion, of righteousness, and of radical love like no other. The God who created the heavens and the earth became flesh and dwelled among us. Emmanuel, God with us. Advent is about waiting. Waiting can be hard, especially when you're waiting for Christmas. John the Baptist from the desert called for people to wait for Jesus as he reminded them of the prophecy. Mary and Joseph had to wait for the front door to open for them. 
So many times our expectations are different from what God desires. The world is not how God intended it to be, as sin has messed everything up. Mary, the mother of Jesus, walked a very tough road, and the world tried to condemn her. But God's strength through her carried her like it does so many in today's troubled world. We light this candle for every child of God who has lost their way from home. There is hope in Christ. We light this candle for every child of God who longs for Jesus and the peace of God in their families and communities. We light this candle for every child of God who's known what it is like to be an outcast. God welcomes people and gives a joy which the world does not know. We light this candle in gratitude for God's perfect love, shown at Christmas and our imperfect and sometimes clumsy ways of sharing it.
this Advent season. God, we thank you for the hope that it brings. Because God, without that hope, we would not have a chance in this world to reunite, be reconciled. And Lord, claim our inheritance from our royal father. Lord, this morning as we look into the life of a new character who helped bring about that hope that we celebrate this season. Lord, I just pray that we would just take inventory in our own hearts this morning. And God, if we are not allowing you to do a work in us, in our lives, that God today could be the start of a new life. God, today, if there's one here that's been holding out and you've knocked on their heart's door, Lord, we've never said yes to you and committed and surrendered our life fully to you. God, I just pray today would be a different day, that God, today would be a day of obedience, that we would say yes to you. Lord, we love you. And Lord, as we lift up that baby boy, Jesus, this morning, Lord, let us never, never take for granted the price that you paid through your one and only son for us, also your children. We love you. It's in your son, in Jesus' name we pray. So in our fourth week of the series of the Advent season where we're looking at Christmas' uh, greatest story, the most miraculous birth in all of history that we've ever known or will ever know about, we're using different rooms and places we've been doing on this journey in the typical home and taking into account different scenes of the story of Jesus and his birth and the story we're so familiar with, and we've been exploring this as the true meaning of Christmas. We've walked through the front door of our pretend house, if you were here for that. We exposed the junk room. A few of all, you have come up and told me that uh, you need to do something about the junk rooms in your houses. And we've lunged, lounged in the um, living room last week, reminisced about ribbon candy uh, that of the past and all of those things of what makes a living room what it is and today we're going to look at the workshop the workshop now you may uh, not have a workshop at, at your home but likely there is some place where you have a few tools that are stuck in a corner or in a drawer somewhere something that you may use to fix some things up even my dear old grandmother whose house almost was falling in uh, she would have been 125 years old if she was still living she uh, had a, a, a had some tools around her house that she quite often kept and we used to try to sneak in and, and find the hammer because we love doing things this was actually her hammer it's a hammer that my grandfather actually made and this thing's at least 150 years old I have no idea how long ago he made it but this was a tool that she kept it's a wonder that it survived the four boys that were hanging around her house and using it from time to time but you may have some tools around your house that you use uh, maybe you've got a, 
uh, a tool shed. Uh, I'm just curious, do, do any of y'all have uh, tool sheds or sheds in your backyards? Anybody at all? Yeah? There's a, is it a he shed? He, she, he, is, it, is it a he shed or a she shed? You have to be careful with that, right? <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, the point is, do you have a workshop? Do you have any workshop in space in your home when our staff was planning out the services for the Advent season? Deciding which rooms to talk about, the thought never occurred to us that we should talk about the workshop until just a few weeks ago into the series. So we've added this room. It's a bonus room that we're adding. Uh, and if there's any room in a house that I know something about, it's the workshop, in my case. Um, it's the only room in our house that I have total rain over. It's the only one. Uh, granted, there are a few rooms that I could care less to go into, like the kitchen, you do not want me going into a kitchen and doing what a kitchen's made for. Nobody wants to do that, so I just pretty much stay out of the kitchen. I may occasionally visit some other rooms, but I don't spend much time in them as, as well, like the office or the laundry room. We only eat in a dining room when people, special people come over or family come over. We, we don't eat in our dining room very often. Lynn actually has one of the bedrooms set up as her workspace, her workshop that she has all sort of craft items in, and she does sewing and, and different things in that room. Uh, it, it does not matter which house you go into, even the ones I do spend some time in. The reality of it is, no matter what other name you put on those rooms, Lynn has total control over. Not me. She chooses the furniture, she chooses the decorations, she chooses the fixtures, and on and on it goes. I'm really kind of lucky that she doesn't charge me rent to use any of those other rooms, quite honestly. Uh, sometimes I get kicked out of the rooms I'm privy to. For instance, when I get sick, I go to the couch. When she gets sick, I go to the couch. Figure that one out. I, I don't know why it works that way, but uh, that's the way it has. I, she even has the attic space over the workshop of, of our garage. She's the queen of our house, and she gets to rule over every room except one, the workshop. You know what? That's just fine with me. Please don't take this complaining or that I'm saying all this publicly to get you feel sorry for me so that I could uh, negotiate for some more space. That's really not the case. I'm perfectly fine with our arrangement, as long as she doesn't try to take over one square inch of my workshop. I'm happy with her having everything else. Every now and then, we actually get into a little bit of a tift over things that she thinks ought to go in my workspace and the things that she thinks that I, that I want to put in the attic, which is her space. For instance, I just got a new router not too long ago, and I wanted to save the box just in case I want to take it back. And she said, what are you going to do with that box? I said, I'm going to put it in the attic. And she said, oh, no, you're not. You put it in the workspace, in your workshop. So this little box made such almost an argument in our house. 
over who gets to put it where. That's just the way it works with our space. Yeah. She's pretty good about letting me have the space in the workshop, or at least what, that's what we call it our house. And one of the reasons she kind of gives me all this freedom is, guess what? She is the recipient of many of the things that come out of the workshop. I truly enjoy working with wood. It's just something about taking a piece of raw material, like this piece of ash that's just been cut from the mill, and turning it into something like this, this making a croquet mallet. That's a mallet, isn't it? For uh, a friend of mine, making him a set of croquet mallets. To go from this to this really just gives me a whole lot of pleasure and joy. I, I, I truly enjoy doing that. Uh, sometimes, I, when I'm working on a project, I will just kind of envision what I want, and I'll start working, hoping that it turns out close to the vision of what I decided I was going to build. Sometimes there's changes that go along the way, uh, and, and I, I start building something, and I have a vision of what I want to do, and sometimes it's hard for other people to see that until it's finished. Now, I'll give you a good example of that. Is that wall back there. You should have seen people's faces when I told them we were going to put church pews on the wall. Like, explain that one, you know. But that's the old church pews, as you've been told many times before. So I have this vision, and sometimes people get it, and sometimes they don't. Uh, but when it finally comes together and you see it happening, it gives you a real good sense of, of pleasure from it. Anybody who starts and does projects, you understand what I'm talking about, right? To get to that finished point. Uh, it really doesn't matter what the craft is. If you enjoy doing that, it gives you pleasure. But occasionally, I would choose to work in a project where I have a set of detailed plans. Someone uh, else may have dreamed up the project. They've drawn up the plans and determined the materials list. And likely they built that particular project already so they know that the plans work. More than likely they've created a, a video about it in today's time and put it on YouTube so that you can follow along. That was the case for a, a workbench that I built a few years ago that's in my shop. Here, here's a picture of it. I followed these plans here. And, and I watched the video, and guess what? It turned out exactly like the plans called for it to. So those are projects often that I will use plans for just to, you know, it just makes it a little bit easier to follow the plans rather than making it up as you go. That was certainly the case for a character that we're going to look at this morning. He followed the plan that God had for him. Actually, you probably already know who I'm going to talk about. His name is Joseph, a carpenter, a craftsman, someone who worked with his hands in the materials of wood, possibly stone, maybe even dirt. There's a pretty good argument that Joseph maybe had, was a stonemason based on the materials that were used in his day and time. However, in Matthew 13, 55, in the King James Version, it's recorded this way, Is this not the carpenter's son? 
is not is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas so it's really not important to think about get hung up on exactly the title that Joseph was but the Bible just says, says he was a carpenter and I can see it in my mind that here's Joseph working away in his workshop on a project that someone may have commissioned him to do or maybe he was building a piece of furniture that was going to be used in the home that where he and his new wife were going to be I, I just can see this he has his shop, he has his space, certainly much different looking than what this would have been looking like today, but I suspect, suspect he was truly a craftsman of the trade that he was involved in. Now, that just kind of, let me just say this, you know, I have a great deal of admiration for the craftsmen of times past, before they had fancy tools. And I am really grateful that finally it seems like in society we're starting to recognize that there is a place for, things, for men and women other than college-educated people, that there's opportunities out there and, and places for people to do jobs that in times past were kind of looked down upon. I tell you, there's a greater need today, it seems like, for craftsmen, for truck drivers... For men and women who really are the ones responsible for moving this country forward. Can, can we not say amen to that? Amen. Now, it's not to say all this other is not important, but I have a new appreciation for the men and women who work hard in the trades that they do, and I think we're going to see them really, uh, we're going to see more and more of the importance of those men and women in times in the future. Now, where was I? back here to Joseph who was a craftsman of his trade he's certainly known for it unbeknownst to him though God has a specific plan for him to follow that's going to shake up his normal work day even the plans he has for his life with Mary and you pick up the story in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 this is how the birth of Jesus came about his mother, Mary, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found with, the, with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Just think about that for a minute. What if, can you just put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a moment? Your wife-to-be has just come home from visiting with her cousin, Elizabeth, and she's found to be with child. You can't help but wonder about this. What happened here? Who have you been with? He certainly knows the logical way for a woman to be with child, but it's not his. He's faced with a big problem. Now, I'm pretty sure Joseph was accustomed to solving problems because of his trade, but this one, this problem, is quite different. There's no playbook that he can follow. There is no plan for something like this that's happened in his life. He, he's just kind of on his own, really, except for his faith 
in God. So he, he's, he's got to figure this out through his relationship with the Lord. But in his mind, there are only two solutions. Make a big scene about it and go public and let uh, Mary suffer the consequences of that time. But he really doesn't want to expose her to public disgrace. Or the other option is just divorce her quietly. He would be completely justified in his decision to divorce Mary. He, he, he was innocent and he was under no obligation to continue the relationship. Maybe he would regain some honor and respect by just uh, doing it quietly. And we know what happened. We know that Joseph chose to do the second. It is a response decided out of who he is. Remember, there's no plan. There's no, really probably no one he can even go and talk with. He's decided to do this because of uh, who he is in his life. He's faithful to the law, and the Bible says that he's righteous. Can I get just a little more monitor up here, please? Thank you. Keep in mind that he hasn't received, at this point, any kind of angelic explanation when he examines the predicament, and instead of, t of taking the harshest solution, even though he has this relationship with, with the Lord, he doesn't know exactly what the plan is. He chooses mercy. Certainly questions would have been appropriate here. It's like, well, how could you have done this to me? How could you have, have, have been with someone else? Who's the father? You need to tell me this. But no questions are recorded, only tenderness. It did not matter that he might be the talk of Nazareth, nor did it matter that friends would be uh, thinking bad about him. But he was not going to hurt Mary, no matter what he thought uh, that she had done to him. What a measure of mercy toward Mary. Joseph, this just man, he's a merciful man. When he could have demanded something of justice, he chooses to share mercy. Now, doesn't that sound exactly how our Heavenly Father treats us? Couldn't we follow Joseph's example here? in how we treat other people, give them some mercy, extend some patience, share some grace, some encouragement, prayer or empathy. It's a great example for us to follow today. He makes these hard choices before God ever reveals anything to him. But after he makes the choice to treat Mary the way he does... God then begins to reveal specific plans to him. And he has a series of four dreams. And in these dreams, we find out just how much faith Joseph has to have in God. So let's take a look at the first dream. The story is familiar. After Joseph makes the decision, which was no doubt a difficult one in a difficult situation, the angel appears to him. And he goes, chapter, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, goes like this. Joseph, son of David, 
Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what the Lord... Do you hear that? Do you see what's happening here? To fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's part of the plan, the plan that was established long ago. Now, I told you last week that it was no accident that God chose Jesus to be born into this family of Mary and Joseph. He didn't just randomly one day look down and, and see Mary running around or know about Joseph's history and choose them. He did this long ago. And what Joseph is experiencing was part of God's perfect plan. In verse 24, it goes on. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary as his wife. We get a picture here of exactly what Joseph does. He obeys God. Mindful of everything it meant for him personally, he would set all of that aside. He would give up so much by making the choices that he makes, and he obeys God. Now that is a great example of faith. In the midst of an incredible situation, he chose to obey. We see this in the first dream. And now we look at the second dream in, in chapter 2 of Matthew, verse 13. When they, that's the Magi, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Once again, we see that Joseph has a dream. It's very likely that the Magi appeared sometime after Jesus was born, and Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus have settled down in the little town of Nazareth. He, he's probably found some work. He's doing his carpentry work, and they've settled into a, a, a type of lifestyle. Then he gets a second dream. He says, get up right now. Run. Verse 14 tells us the result. So he got up took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Here's another example of the strong faith that Joseph has. And he obeys. He doesn't procrastinate. He gets up immediately, and he does what God calls him to do, what the angel tells him to do in his dream. They left the country. They went to a new culture. They went and discovered a new people. They started all over again for a second time in less than two years. But it doesn't end there. There's yet another dream. Dream number three. Uh, after Joseph escapes with his family to Egypt, we go to verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. We don't know exactly the time frame, uh, but Mary and Joseph, have, they've settled down. 
They made a life for themselves there. And once again, he lays down at night and he has another dream. And this one, though, it's different from the others. The first two have been kind of bad news, but this one's good news. He gets to go back home, back to the culture, back to what he's familiar with, to his own people, back to the land that they knew and the places that, that they were familiar with, and the family and friends are there. But he does it he, he, in the middle of the night without even so much as an explanation. He gets up and does what he says. So he got up, verse 21, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Now, I don't know about you, but if that had been my wife waking me up three times already in the middle of the night saying, do this, she'd be having, giving a hard, me a hard time, right? He doesn't worry about that. He just does and obeys and does exactly as he's told to do. And, there, and then there's dream number four. When Joseph and his family arrive back in Israel, though they discover the danger is over, they, they get there. However, Herod's son has become king, and so Jesus is still a threat. So Joseph is afraid to go to Judea. So once again, God speaks to him in a familiar way in verse 22. But when he heard that Ar Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. You see the pattern here? God speaks, and Joseph obeys. There's no argument. There's no questions that he raises. There's no whining about what he has to do. He doesn't try to negotiate terms with God and make deals. Instead, we see a man who, in the middle of the night, he does exactly what he's told to do. And Joseph obeys. Now, here's a practical point to, to what we see here in his life regarding faith and obedience. Now, I want you to hear me, especially as I finish this sermon, because all of this so far has been history, how we have seen Joseph do. But what I'm going to be telling you before I finish this sermon is a very practical place that we find ourselves in today's world as individuals, but we also find ourselves as a church. I'm talking about Sunset Hills. So I want you to listen carefully to this. It takes a great deal of faith to step out in obedience when you don't know where God is taking you. You ever been there? God's led you someplace. You're unsure of it. You don't really want to do it. But yet God calls you to it and you step out in obedience and you don't know where God is taking you, and you just have to start stepping one step at a time. God, lead me in this step. Lead me in this step. I'm not sure where you're taking me. Just lead me to that place. That's what Joseph did. What did he get in return? Well, it was pretty spectacular, actually, what he did get. He got to be a major part of God's plan to save all humanity to make friends with God again. 
he got to teach Jesus. He got to hold and watch him learn, discover all the wonders of the world. He got to provide for his needs. He got to take him into his workshop and teach him the trade so that his son, too, could be a carpenter. And while he, all the time knowing that there was a greater plan that God had for his son, Jesus. How did he get to do all this? Simply because he obeyed God. What a fascinating story of faith, obedience, and trusting in God's plan. I know that this is a hard thing to do when God asks you to step out in obedience and you don't know where he's taking you. So how do you handle that? Well, the first thing I would tell you, remember that it's normal to think this. To think, what are you doing, God? I don't fully understand what you're doing. I, I, I don't have all the plan figured out yet. Life doesn't really just seem to make a whole lot of sense right now. God often does this. He does things to us and for us that don't seem to make a whole lot of sense but just because it doesn't make sense to us it does to him and he calls us to obey him even when we don't see the whole design he has it already figured out this is all throughout the bible you see people that god uses with situations that don't seem to add up Events that happen in people's lives that, that just defy logic and natural progression of life. And you know what? God works through all of that. He carries out his plan. It's certainly the case with Joseph and Mary. This is a part of faith. Faith says that even though I don't understand God, I'm willing to trust him through it. Faith, trust, obedience they all fit together i have faith because i trust you i trust you because i have faith in who you are and in your promises therefore because i have all of this i can't obey you that's exactly what we see in joseph's life if you say god i'll follow you as long as i understand what's going on as long as you kind of show me exactly what the plan is uh well that's not trust it's certainly not faith. I, I need to see everything and how it all fits together before I'm willing to take any steps. No, that's not what God calls us to do. I trust, and therefore I will follow, regardless of whether I know the plan. Trust is a huge part of the life of faith. I like what Chip Ingram once said in a radio broadcast called Living on the Edge. Every Christian's life is marked by windows of opportunity that demand that you take a radical step of faith in order to follow Christ and fulfill His promises for your life. And what makes that step radical is that it always involves significant risk. You hear it? It's true. There are times where God may, will bring an opportunity and it may be in your marriage, it may be in your career, it may regard your finances. 
It may be in regard to a relationship. And he's going to say, in order to obey me, in order to follow me, in order to do exactly what I want you to do, this is what I need to do in this situation. And everything in you is fearful. And in this little window of opportunity, it takes a radical step. And the reason it's a radical is radical is because you say to yourself, you know what? If this doesn't work out, this relationship could fall apart. If I do that, if I would be leaving all of my family back here and we're going to move to this new place. If I do that, then may, that may ruin my career possibilities in the future. If I do that, I won't be able to pay my bills in these three months. God, you don't want me to make a radical step with my finances. But listen carefully. He goes on to say, where there is no risk, there is no faith. Mark that down. Where is there is no risk, there is no faith. And where there is no faith, there is no power. And where there is no faith, there is no joy. And where there is no faith, there is no intimacy with God. And where there is no faith, there aren't those, uh, uh, there aren't those supernatural miracles. And where there is no faith, there is no reward. And get this one down. Where there is no faith, there is no pleasing of God. Think of that. It's pretty radical, isn't it? Does God ever do anything in your life that doesn't make, seem to make sense? I know He has in mine. Actually, He has in the life of this church as we look back over our history. And guess what? He's going to continue to do that in the life of this church as we look forward to what the future is. And he's going to say, Church, are you ready to step out on faith, regardless of what it is? You may not know the plan now, but are you ready to take those steps of faith as I'm leading you to do? You're sitting there thinking that you can't think of anything. You probably have missed an opportunity to realize that it was God trying to stretch you and build your faith. You see, I've experienced this, and I know many of you have. God cares way too much about you just to save you and then let you go out and live the way you want to. He cares too much about us and desire for us to please Him, to fulfill His purpose for life, than not to challenge us to something better. God is so much more than that. He's much more than just saying, I want you to feel comfortable. I want you to, ta I want to take away your, your hurting. Or to just stand by to get you out of trouble when you messed out, up. He has greater plans for us, and He cares much more than to just let you alone in the moment that you need a rescue. God is never challenging you to the point that you say, I don't understand. I don't know about the next steps. I don't know what you're doing. Then you need to consider if you're really serious about following him. Now, that's hard to hear, but it's true. God loves us too much to just let us do our own thing and not intervene in our lives and challenge us to do better. Here's the second point I'd tell you about this. You need to trust to God. How many times have you heard me say that? 
recently. There's one thing that I absolutely have learned over these past three years. If there's one thing that I have absolutely learned over this past year with what I personally have experienced is, is I can trust God. Not all the events of this past year have been easy. Some certainly have been happy. And some have been very difficult. Some have been life-altering. Oftentimes they have the potential of changing the trajectory of our lives. Life has a way of changing, constantly changing. You'll hear more about this uh, on the New Year's Day sermon. Uh, you'll hear more about it this, con- this coming year. Change is always happening. Can I say it again? Change is always going to happen. Whether you want it or not, change is going to happen to you this next year. But there's one who never changes, and that's God. What's happening in my life, what, while it may be life-altering, It does not change who God is. Joseph certainly understood that. How did he know that he could trust God? First, because of his life experiences with God. He didn't wait until he was in a crisis to really discover who God was. His life was built on what his faith and God and who he was with God. Just remember the description of Joseph? It says he was a man who was righteous. He had a history with God. This indicates something about what was already going on in his life long before he had the crises. It tells us that he was already doing the right thing. He had a heart of belief about the things of God. And because of that belief, he tried to do the right thing. In fact, the root word of righteous is right. It simply means Joseph did right things, even when they were difficult. He knows what God says about himself. You know why that's important? It's because your view of God... My view of God is not based on my feelings about God. It's not based on my feelings about who God is. It's not based on my emotions about what He's doing or what He may not be doing in my life right now. It's not based on someone else's opinion of who God is. And it's certainly not based on my life events. God's character was established long before Steve Durham ever was born into this world, before you were born into this world, before Joseph was born into this world. God's character uh, was long established. If you really want to know the true character of God, all you have to do is go to Scripture, and it tells you, listen to this. Psalm 86, 5, You, Lord, here's the character of God, are forgiving. And good, 
abounding in love to all who call upon you. That's a great promise, is it not? It's there to help us when we're going through an event of life that we don't fully understand. We can go back to those promises. You, God, are forgiving in God, and you abound in love to all who call upon you. So that means I can call on God, and he's going to be there abounding in love toward me. Here's another attribute of God. Psalm 145.9, The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. Psalm 105, For the Lord is good, his unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Exodus 34, 6 and 7, Yahweh the Lord, the, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Sam Storms writes this about the good news of God's unchanging nature. What all this means is very simple, simply is that God is dependable. Our trust in Him is therefore a confident trust, for we know that He will not indeed change, cannot change. So no matter what events that we're faced with takes place in life, the ups, the downs, the questions of why this is happening, why isn't this happening, my time is, I don't understand what you're doing, God, none of that changes who God is. Here's the third thing I'd tell you. We see this again in Joseph's life. Obey God no matter what. Obey, obedience followed Joseph's faith. He did this as he was commanded. The Bible defines faith with obedience and obedience with faith. In other words, they're, the two of the, uh, they're two sides of the same coin. You cannot do one without the other. And with this faith that he had to trust God, Joseph was able to obey in those difficult situations. It did not matter what was coming his way. He was obedient. Places of obedience is not always comfortable. It was certainly true of Joseph, and he takes Mary and the infant to, to, to Egypt. He leaves behind all that he had worked for, his, his carpenter's business, his trade. He leaves his family and his friends simply to obey what God calls him to do. I'm convinced that Joseph cared for Mary very deeply. And in his relationship with her, because of his relationship with God, he shows her mercy. And because of his relationship with God, he demonstrates faith. And because of his, the mercy that he knows about and he shows in, uh, in the faith that's been demonstrated, he follows in obedience. Each one of them are important to realize God's purpose and promise in our lives. I still find it amazing. Now, God took an everyday, ordinary carpenter by the name of Joseph, and he made him the stepfather of Jesus, the protector of his life, and that of Mary's. 
If God could do this in Joseph's life, what can he do in yours? The story this morning, maybe it's familiar to us because we have been possibly in some of the same places that Joseph has been. Maybe you're at that point where you're trying to say, okay, what? Well, how do I deal with this situation? God, what are you leading me to do? God, what kind of changes are going to happen to me this next year? Am I prepared for what's coming as we face tomorrow? Have I worked hard in building my faith in my past history with you to be prepared? Joseph's story entices us and tells us of the benefit to continue in mercy, faith, and obedience. But it starts with a belief in Jesus, that baby who would grow up into this world as he came into this cold and dark place. And through his life, was able to change ours to where we'd be in that right relationship with the Lord. I, I, I really don't know what you're facing this morning. Maybe life is just great. Man, you couldn't ask for anything to be any better. Just this and this, right now in this phase of life. Well, I want to tell you, if that's the case, you ought to be on your knees and thanking God for it. Because there's going to come a time when life is going to be hard. And he's going to take every ounce of faith you have to make and take the next steps. Or maybe God's going to call you or call this church to do something that he wants us to do that's even greater. That's going to test you. Maybe test your relationship with him. Can I believe all these things or not? Can I take these steps and know, God, that you're going to be with me as I take those steps? I, I, maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're at a point that you, not know, you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Well, that's where it really starts. And then build your life in Him. That's what He came to do. To make us right with God and to be able to live a life of faith and trust in Him so that we can be obedient. I encourage you in these moments of invitation that you consider where you are. If God's leading you to a place of deeper relationship or starting a relationship with Him, then as we, as we have this time of invitation in a moment, I invite you to come and give your life to Him. Maybe you just want to sit and stand in your place where you are or sit there in the seat and say, Lord, I am really facing a tough situation. I mean, this Christmas is going to be hard. And I just need you right now. Reach out to him. And just spend some time talking with him. He'll give you that faith, that hope, and that trust. Would you pray with me, please? And Father, we're grateful for the life of Joseph. Well, we don't know much about him. 
after Jesus becomes a, a young boy of about 12, we really near, never hear anything else of what's going on. But in these short verses, these short accounts of the life that we find in Joseph, we, we, we find great treasure. Treasure of a man who shows mercy and faith and is obedient. That really should call us to that kind of life of placing our faith in Christ for the mercy that's been shown to each of us and to be obedient. Father, I pray that there's someone here this morning that needs to make a decision for you that today would be the day that they settle up. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing. All is
I pray, Father, that as we hear these words, and our hearts will have them settled, that all is well. So we trust and obey. As we continue in this Christmas season, Father, may we truly be grateful of what you shared with us that we could have this life with you through the giving of your Son, who certainly walked a life of obedience even to being obey, obedience to the cross. Something was very uncomfortable for him to do. And yet he did it because of your love and because of his love for us. So may we celebrate that during this season we call Christmas. To be grateful that we can have that right relationship with you through Jesus Christ our Savior and Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated please. We would like to give to you as a gift from a workshop of Emily Patton, a, a gift that you can take home with you. It is a Christmas ornament that you can take and hang in your house of the baby Jesus, a hand-painted Christmas ornament for each one of our families. So as you leave here shortly, uh, if I could have a couple of deacons to go back there and... Uh, there are some boxes with some bags in it, have these in it, these little lunch bags here. And we would like for you to take one of these just as a reminder of the Christ child at Christmas time. Please only take one per family. Don't, and if you've got family members that say, well, I want to take one to my family. If they're not here, they don't get one, okay? So it's only for those families that are here that we want to make sure that each of our families that are here this morning that get one of these little gifts from us and uh, we can share that with you. I have just a little bit of business I need to do if you want to you can stand there you can you want to sit down? As announced last week we need to have just a brief special called business meeting and it was announced that the purpose of this would be to um, uh, affirm our deacon selection committee for the uh, session, the upcoming session of selecting our deacons. So uh, I call us into order for doing the, uh, the purpose of business that was stated. And I bring before you a recommendation from the pastor and the deacon body that these people serve on our deacon selection committee, Bobby Hamilton, Danny Gordon, John Bagwell, Andrew Trammell, Lewis Justice, Tammy Bowers and Melissa Fletcher. Okay, so you've heard these names, and uh, it comes as a recommendation. Does not need a second, and really all it needs is a vote of affirmation. So, um, uh, if you're in favor of these folks becoming our Deacon Selection Committee for 2023, would you affirm by saying yes? yes. And any opposition to that? Hearing none. The motion carries unanimous consent and vote, and uh, we have conducted our business. Is there a motion to adjourn? We have to do that, you know. It's kind of very business-like. Anybody want to make a motion to adjourn? Like a hundred of you want to do it. 
And we don't have to second that one. We are adjourned and have conducted the business that we needed to conduct. Okay? You want to talk about announcements? I do. Hey, I want to uh, remind you uh, ladies that are going to be a part of the armor of God that... Uh, <laughs> Last week it was a bat, this week it's a mallet. I mean, come on. Um, if you are uh, in the... In Nobody the, else gets nervous about that except you. The women's, women's Bible study, Armor of God. Those books are available in the lobby. So we encourage you to pick up your books for purchase. And if you have any questions about that, you can see Lynn. Um, and I uh, do want to remind you um, that Christmas Eve service is at 5 o'clock. And uh, I realize that's a lot of... Um, folks around here is family tradition and I think that's a great tradition I've heard some talk about folks saying um, in talking talking about whether they're going to Christmas Eve and Christmas morning let me say this if you choose one over the other you're going to miss out on a blessing um, if Christmas morning is not about um, serving the Christ child and giving that Thanksgiving uh, you may want to think about your Christmas family traditions because uh, I believe that's what it's all about that's just me. But um, so very different services, Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. So we invite you to hear, uh, here to be a part of both of those. Yeah, so next Sunday we'll be um, talking about the dining room. The dining room. And we will actually be observing communion on both services for Christmas Eve and for Christmas Day as well. Okay? So we encourage you to be a part of both of them, you know. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, thanks for bearing with me. My throat is like raw, just sore as it can be. So thanks for bearing with me this morning. I am not, normally I'll be back there to greet you as you leave, but I'm not going to do this morning, do that this morning because of, uh, I don't want to share my code with you. So uh, I just want you to know that I love you and I appreciate you. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas if I don't see you between now and Christmas. And may God bless us as we go about this season many will be traveling pray for those who will be and and um, those that will be enjoying family and also remember those that maybe this is a hard time of the year as well and just keep in mind people that uh, may be um, lonely this year and might want to call somebody and let them know hey I'm thinking about you would you please stand we good is that it we good please don't forget to get one of these little ornaments that Emily painted on your way out May God bless you. Turn around and tell somebody Merry Christmas. Happy See week, everybody. Hi, good morning. This is Kelly. I want to take a moment to personally thank you for joining us for today's live stream. I hope today's message was encouraging and inspiring for you. You know what? We would love to hear from you. If you're here today and you made a decision for Christ, or maybe you just have a simple prayer request, we would love to know about that. You can text the word prayer to 615-776-1807. One of our pastors will be back in touch with you. Hey, if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to see you in person. You can join us for life groups at 9 a.m. or blended worship at 10 a.m. And let me say this, from your youngest family member to your family member that has the most years of life experience, we have a place for you. You know, I believe that we're living in unprecedented times. People all around us, are looking for sources of hope. And you and I, we both know where that hope is found. We have a God who loves us and he wants to meet us right where we are. But you know what? He loves us too much to keep us there. So come and join us, whether online or in person. We would love to shake your hand, give you a smile 
and uh, do life with you here at Sunset Hills. Have a great week, everybody.